Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast, not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 48. And our guest host this evening is Aminda L. from Philadelphia. How you doing, Aminda? I'm good, thank you. How are you, love? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just got back from a wonderful vacation. I turned 40 years old yesterday. Um, so it has been quite the journey. And I am four days without nicotine today. That's a big deal. It is crazy. I'm, I'm crawling out of my skin a little bit, but the cravings are starting to taper off a little bit. So congratulations. Thank you. And I know we have an excellent episode with you tonight. You want to talk about putting the whip down and we have uh, some thoughts on that. And I want to hear a little bit of your thoughts on what that means. But first, I want you to introduce yourself to our listeners. My name is Aminda Lamey. I was born in South America, raised in London. November 3rd, I'll have seven years of sobriety, clean time, whatever you want to call it, from all mind-altering substances and a few other things like being super fucking promiscuous, shoplifting, lying about everything you could possibly think of, and um, steal. yeah, I, I mentioned the stealing part, so that's important. That's a big part of my story, complete klepto. Had my first drink at 12, my first joint at 12. I had 12 martinis and sprites. I was 12 years old, got completely shit-faced. I had those 12 drinks in about 30 minutes because I didn't know it took time for the alcohol to take effect. So I kept drinking desperately because I wanted to feel the effect and eventually I did. And moved around a lot from England to other parts of Europe and then back to South America. On the outside, People that met me in early sobriety said that I seemed to have a very interesting life with the traveling and things of that nature. But to me, it was excruciating, like just my existence was excruciating. And I was always just uh, with a huge voyage, trying to fill it with whatever, you know, if you think of an octopus, just grabbing whatever, whether it was a dick, a drug, a drink, something in the store, food, to fill the void because that void was just never ending like a big black bloody hole. And, but always in the struggle of trying to, you know, live life, trying to be alive, trying to be present, trying to do music, came to America at around 22 years old with an American guy I met in Argentina. Started bartending in some ghetto fabulous bars which are underestimated, made really good money, bought my first little house doing that. My addiction and my self-destructive behaviors just always increased. You know, from 12 to 40, it started at drinks and joints. And by 40, it was pills, pain pills, cocaine, and marijuana were my drugs of choice. I had a really bad fucking experience with pills and alcohol. So I kind of almost had a seizure at the wheel driving home. So I kind of decided to pick the pills over the alcohol. So it was pills and Coke mostly. And I did go to rehab on November 3rd of 2015. 
Um, rehab was the best thing that I ever did. But I remember going to the rehab and the first day I made, first day there, I wrote a little list of 21 things that I thought they should change about the rehab. And I gave it to the director and he called me to his office and he said, I mean that we, we appreciate your feedback, but you know, I want you to write a list of 21 things that you want to change about yourself. And that was like a big bloody shock. But there's a lot of trauma in my life. I grew up in a cult and there was a lot of weird shit going on, which I didn't even know it was a cult until I got older. I think some of my family members might not agree with me, but to me it, it is and it was. And I don't say that like a, like a little boohoo story, but you know, trauma is real. And I carried that in my body as an identity. And that was a big reason behind my pains of fucking existing. And then as I grew into an, uh, an adult, my feelings of lack of self-worth just made me engage always in self-destructive behaviors. I had no idea what it was like to be kind to myself. I think there was always a tiny little part that was trying, you know, but uh, it just wasn't working. You know, I took antidepressants for a long period of time, but when you take antidepressants kind of as you wish, along with Coke and pills, don't actually work very well. <laughs> They don't actually work very well. If anything, they just make you go bloody insane. So, but there was always that attempt, you know, I was been in therapy since the age of 11. I was always looking for a way out, always looking for an answer, always knew that there was in my, in my self-destruction, I knew that there was something else that I could be doing, should be doing, wanted to be doing. I just had absolutely no fucking idea how to achieve it. So it was, a, it was an excruciating existence, to say the least. But rehab saved my life. Having the knowledge of what addiction is versus just thinking I'm just a sick, lost, doomed, terrible human being, but understanding that there's actually like a, a whole physiological response to substances for people like me was huge. And meeting other professionals, because the rehab I went to, everybody there was uh, in recovery, even the director. So that was great for me to have an understanding of what it was. And I started doing some different recovery programs, finally got off the psych meds and just gave my body a chance to be in its natural state for once in 40 years and followed the steps of other people which were able to stop using substances and stop engaging in self-destructive behaviors. But it was a, it's a slow journey, you know, first with the drugs and alcohol, then with the men, I still had an ex-drug dealing boyfriend at the time for like six months. I was like bagging up crack, doing step work on the phone. It was fucking ridiculous. That was like a light bulb moment. I was like, there's something weird going on here. I can't be bagging up crack bags and, and doing step work, right? But it took a while to get rid of that guy and I got rid of him. And then it was the shoplifting, you know, it was just like one thing after another. And finally was the food. Food is like the last safest thing, but really it's not safe because I've been pre-diabetic a couple of times. So that's the journey now. But yeah, just the journey from going to an octopus of complete consumption and self-destruction to just being okay in my bloody skin without all the external things. I really like the story about the uh, 21 things that we could change about the rehab and the director saying, you know, 21 things about yourself. I had a pretty similar experience. I wrote this like dissertation about one of the texts. Like I'm telling you this thing, this thing would be a bestseller in the director. I mean, although it wasn't 
as profound of a response, basically said the same thing, like, why are you focusing your effort on? And it was over, honestly, it was over a movie, like them not letting us watch it. It was. So in hindsight, it's ridiculous. But that's just where, you know, our minds were at that time, right? Like, it's about what, I, I guess, what's wrong with everyone else? What's wrong with this place? What's, you know, not, not really looking inward. Uh, you talk a lot about lack of self-worth and you mentioned that the theme today was um putting down the whip kind of explain how you got there so how did it grow from i know you said you moved from england to europe to south america and then ultimately the us i'm assuming how did that um lack of self-worth kind of grow and you feel a need to fill that void through that process the lack of self-worth was there from as long as I can remember that I have a memory. You know, I, I always felt I hated my body. I hated my existence. I did everything that I could to avoid it or to just be someone else. So over the years, it just grew from a seed to a motherfucking... What's that weird park in America that has the ridiculously humongous trees from 5,000 years ago? Oh, in California. California. Yeah, like from, from a seed to one of those trees. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could relate to that in the fact, I mean, a little differently. It's not that I had this lack of self-worth. It's I always wanted to be the best. Be the, and then when I wasn't, or I thought I wasn't, I filled the void. Very similar to what you're saying. Recently, my daughter even said, I think I was like arguing with my wife and my daughter's like, why don't you talk to yourselves like you talk to me? And it's very profound in the fact that, you know, kids, kids say these things. And, you know, that, that kind of reminded me about this episode. We talk so negatively about ourselves constantly. Or when I say we, like anyone that has addiction in their life, uh, whether it's, you know, lack of self-worth or not taking care of your bodies or whatever, you know, we just beat ourselves up in different ways. Um, one thing I also had a hard time doing was getting past the fact that I quote unquote fucked up in the past. Like I felt like, you know, I did that. So now that I'm not using, I'm still not worthy of happiness of this, of that. We heard a lot of that in Charles's episode from two weeks ago, that negative self-talk. And it ties very closely to what you were talking about, Aminda, if I'm constantly telling myself that I'm a piece of crap, I'm going to believe myself and I'm going to show up as that. I am right there with you. My self-worth was tied to so many other things than who I really was because I didn't know who I was, you know? So it was tied to how much I could buy people or tied to my grades or tied to my uh, job or tied to my family or tied to all these other things. And none of them was making the mark for me. And so I started proving to myself, you're not good enough. And in every instance, I would measure myself up against something else or somebody else. And I would always come up short. And so you were talking about how, you know, food was that last bit of self-security for you. Um, I think nicotine was the last security blanket for me. And I'm 
only four days off nicotine right now. And it's already showing me that I can do a lot more than I really thought that I could. It's hard. It's very, very hard. But I'm talking about it. And I'm using the work that I've used for the last two years with drugs and alcohol to be able to uh, get through it. Something that I'm interested in hearing is how did you make that switch? Chris was talking about how you start to discover that sense of self-worth. And you were talking about you had no idea what it was like to be kind to yourself. So how do you get to that place? What did you start to do to show yourself kindness? You know, the biggest thing about this uh, whip situation is that I beat myself up for feelings. First, I beat myself up for all the things that I did and I judged in myself. And then I beat myself up just for feeling the things that I was feeling. And in focusing so much on all those negative things, I didn't realize I had actually accomplished a lot. Around five years, I was like, wait, I finished my IOP. I went to rehab. I haven't stolen in about three years. I'm not fucking weird random guys anymore. I'm not lying about my name, nationality, age, ethnicity. I mean, everything, you know, like things have actually shifted. So it was through the help of others, reading, listening to people, therapy, and just acknowledging and looking at the accomplishments that I had accomplished, the things that I had managed to do. Like there was this exercise that my therapist uh, suggested that I do when I was, uh, my last addiction was diet pills that are pretty much fucking methamphetamine in a pill. But the exercise, and I did the same thing with food. So you put the food, drug, whatever the thing is. For me, it was chocolate bars. I bought some chocolate bars, a pack of sugar, sit it on the table, and I film myself doing this. I sit on one side, looking at the chocolate, and I start talking to it. Like, hey, chocolate, I fucking hate you. Why do I feel this vice? Why do I feel like I need you so much, you know? And you get up, go around, sit where the chocolate is, and the chocolate responds to me. And the chocolate says, well, really, I'm just a bar of chocolate. If you don't pick me up and put me in your mouth, I have no power whatsoever. I'm sure that the people that made me did some shit, very intelligent shit to make you need me, but you don't really, I mean, I don't have the power. And it just goes back and forth. So I sent the, the video to my therapist and she pointed out to me that at the end of it, when I'm like bursting in tears, all emotional in my kitchen by myself, speaking to the fucking chocolate, right? And in my conversation to the chocolate, I say, if I give you up, that's it. I don't have anything left. It's just me. And that was the marking moment. The fear is, you know, it's like, it's just me. How do I exist? That's the journey of starting to love myself, of starting to be kind to myself, of starting to be aware. And that's just as excruciating as self-destruction. And for someone that's always had a life of self-destruction, succeeding is very scary. But that was like an aha moment that like, damn, I can do this without anything. My biggest fear was just being with myself, you know? And that was a suggestion of someone else. It was really like a clicking moment. So it's just, for me, it was self-awareness, meditating, reading, having a life coach, therapy, mentors, uh, breath work, Reiki, all the combination of things, going to some meetings, whether it's a 12-step program or anything else, talking to people. And then slowly, it's like all these little pieces of the puzzle, I just started realizing that with the, all that combination, the shift started happening, where I started to actually look at the things that I had accomplished. And that was the self-care. 
I kept crying to my therapist, I don't love myself, I don't love, she said, didn't you go to therapy? Yes, that's self-love. Didn't you go to the gym? Yes, that's self-love. Didn't you? So I'm just like doing all these things that are self-love, but I didn't even really realize them, you know? Yeah, sometimes it takes someone to point that out. I mean, I could kind of picture you, you know, bouncing back and forth in the <laughs> chocolate seat and then going inside. <laughs> I was kind of laughing to that, but mm -hmm. it's actually pretty profound because at the end, like you said, you're left with just yourself. And you could say that for anything. I mean, you know, you could put a bottle, a, a beer bottle or a pill there or chocolate mm -hmm. or a vape. Or a vape. I like that. Jason, it'll be okay. Four days. I'm proud of you. I mean, what you were just talking about is so true to what I'm doing right now. And I thought that over the last almost two years, I'll have two near two years next month. I thought that I was on this like really hardcore journey of like self-love because when I went to rehab and Chris and I went to rehab together, when I, when I met him in rehab, I hated myself just like you were talking about Aminda. And over the last, you know, 23 months, I have started to really accept myself and love myself to the point where I've been on this fitness journey and I bought a very skimpy, not a, um, a Speedo, but something very close to it, and wore it on the beach and at a pool this last weekend. And I never would have done that because I hated my body so much. But I did it over the last weekend because I love my body right now. And I, yes, I have things I want to improve, but I love where I am right now. And what you were just talking about with the chocolate bar conversation. And Chris, I was right there too. I was, I was enjoying that a lot because Amanda, I could see you kind of going mm -hmm. like back and forth <laughs> and then possibly doing like the chocolate bar and like, you know, a different accent and mm. like, <laughs> <laughs> so I could see that like kind of happening. Um, and it's so profound. Like Chris was saying, because the realization that you had and that you said for us is that it's just you having the conversation. That's really all it is. Like <laughs> being able to watch that video, it's you going back and forth. And that's what it probably looks like in our head. Yes. Yes. What I've also noticed to that point is when you take out that thing that has power over you, you also, besides gaining self-love, you also start to see things you want to improve. And that's okay. Things that are not okay. Like I, I'm working on a lot of stuff with myself, but it's okay. And that doesn't mean I hate myself. That doesn't mean I don't love myself. Instead of hiding behind a chocolate bar, a pill, whatever it is, you're able to actually work on it. Because in the past, you know, what would we all do? We would hide behind whatever the drug of choice is. I heard this quote once, some, I think it was, I can't remember who it was, but it said, uh, we don't think our way to get motivated, we do things to get motivated. But basically it says, it's in the doing that the motivation comes. Because I was always trying to intellectualize everything. I was trying to figure out why I had so much self-hate and how I had to fix that without realizing that it's the action that gives the motivation. It doesn't matter if I say to myself, I'm going to do something for five minutes and I don't do it. That's one little stone in my backpack. Then comes another thing. I'm going to do this. I don't do it. That's another little stone in the backpack. By the end of the day, I'm fucking sub drowning. 
But anytime I do take the action, like for this podcast, oh my God, I'm going to text Jason and tell him I can't do it. You know, anything. There's always that voice. Don't do it. Don't go. Don't do it. Don't go. And then it's like, no, I mean, that. show the fuck up. And then I do it and I feel bloody great. There was something that my sponsor told me that I heard from a friend prior to getting sober and something I believe that I heard in rehab. And I point this out to my sponsees whenever we read the big book. It's actions are greater than words and thoughts. And every time that I take an action, I'm moving closer to whatever that destiny is. So if I want to stop smoking, if I want to stay sober, if I want to have a better relationship with my partner or my father or my friends, I take actions towards those destinies as opposed to not talking to people, not letting people know that I'm struggling, not asking for help, which takes me, those actions take me closer to going out and closer to a bottle or closer to a bag. And so I'm like pulling myself in one way or the the other. And sometimes, some days, it's like a tug of war. Like if you've ever seen a game of tug of war, you have that middle line and you have two ends and some days the flag is on the right and some days the flag is on the left. And some days it's right in the middle, which is hard and very few and far in between. But some days my days are just like perfectly aligned with my peace. And it's the days that I remember that if I'm going to beat myself up, I beat myself up with a feather instead of a two by four because I'm still human. I'm still going to say, oh, Jason, why didn't you X, Y, Z? Or, oh, you could have ABC. And then I remember, oh yeah, that's right, I'm human. Or, you know, I lie to someone or I cheat someone at something and I say, okay, that was wrong. I go back, I make a quick amends and I say, you know, you're not a bad person today because the Jason from two years ago would have just let that go and kept it moving without a thought of going back to make an amends to that person. So. Yeah. You reminded me with the word action. That was the quote. It was, we don't get motivated to take action. You take action to get motivated. That was the quote. I love it. Uh-huh. And I'm big on rituals. I actually bought this little chest and a leather whip and uh, I had like this little get together in my house with some friends, you know, it's like talk about our problems and shit. And when they walked in the door, I made them get the whip and put it in the chest. Like it was like, we're not allowed to beat ourselves up today. The whole, you know, visualization thing is big for me. Those little rituals that just a reminder, you know, to not self punish. I love that because I'm very physically connected like that as well. So doing something like that will help me remember to put the whip down. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can put a little whip and a, and a thing by your door. And when you walk in, just put the whip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to reserve all the comments that I have for that, which I'm sure our listeners are already starting to think of anyway. <laughs> While you were talking about the, the whip um, visualization, we used to ask our guests and we used to close out this way. I'm not trying to close this out, but I just came to my head on one piece of advice for a newcomer, someone early in uh, recovery. 
And I, I guess I want to kind of throw that on you. What do you think is a good piece of advice for a newcomer? Because that was one of like, I feel like you just stole your best one, but you know, <laughs> if you were to have that question now, what would it be? I think, um, treading lightly, you know, like for people that are trying to overcome any type of addiction, regardless of the program they're trying to do it in, I think that sometimes, and I think it's part of it to be kind of gangster and harsh in looking at ourselves. That's never easy, but for people that already feel like shit to then have to come in and look at all their shitty things, there has to be some lightness there. You know, like for me, it always felt like a complete disaster. And then coming into programs and looking at my, my stuff, I, I had to have humor, tread lightly, be gentle with myself. You know, that was huge. Self-care things, whether it's a long shower, affirmations, writing, reading. I think it's like a combination. But basically, it was not thinking that I can figure it out intellectually or by myself, listening to other people, reaching out to people that whose lives I admired, asking for help and treading lightly, just being really light. Yeah, I think that is all excellent advice. And I was actually going to ask you what else people could do for self-care, because I think that one, it's very individual, but a lot of times, at least for me, I didn't know what to do. And some of the suggestions that I had from like my therapist and other people were like, take a bath and for as nice as that sounds, that's not something that I would want to do for me. It, it just, it sounds great, but it literally took me a year to actually admit I'm not going to do that. I still haven't done that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, st- I just don't want to take a bath, right? I love showers. I love, you know, pools and stuff like that. But like the whole concept of me taking a bath is more work for me than self-care and self-love. So I think the the list of things that you gave are excellent recommendations and our listeners need to figure out for themselves what their self-care is, what their sense of self-love is. And it may be something like talking to someone you haven't in, talked to in a while or going on a vacation for yourself or taking a bath, of course, or, you know, getting that massage that you have said, told yourself for years that it's too expensive for personalizing that self-care is huge, I think, as opposed to taking someone else's recommendations. But I think you gave us a wonderful list of things to start to consider for ourselves. Yeah, I think what you said is on point, Jason. Making it personal is, is huge. I used to do Bikram yoga in the beginning of my sobriety. And I realized one day I was walking there and I would always get anxious before I went. And I realized that that's because I fucking hated it. I suffered like a slave in that boiling room. I wanted it to be over. And I was like, why am I going to this bloody yoga if I hate it so much? So I just stopped going. But it took me six months of doing it to realize that I bloody hated it. So it's like, then I went to Reiki. I did breath work, go to the gym. Sometimes when it rains really, really strong in the summer, I stand in the rain, like in my little backyard. That's like a spiritual wash, you know, going to the movies by myself and getting a nice little food to take with me. There's so many things. But yeah, doing things that you enjoy. I would say don't try to become a fucking Buddha Dalai Lama overnight and engage in activities that are really fucking suffering like I did with that Bikram yoga. 
<laughs> I hated it. I never got the concept of like hot yoga. I, I would just, I agree with you. I would hate it. See, and, and I loved it. So that is just, that is just a point that things need to be individualized to who you are. Well, Aminda, thank you so much. It was wonderful to have you on the show tonight. You brought some really great positive energy and some real depth to this idea of putting down the whip and starting to lighten up on ourselves. And that concept of beating ourselves up is just something that we may continue to do for a long time, but we don't have to be so hard on ourselves. So it was really great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a beautiful setup, beautiful project, and congratulations to you guys, and I can't wait to hear the episode and all the other episodes you have coming along. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, everybody. Have a good night. Good night. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.